0: Hi, I'm Tanya Roa. And I'm Adriana Medina. And this is the Closing the Gap podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to address the different gaps within society. This includes the racial wealth gap, gender equality gap, the resource accessibility gap, and so many others.
1: And when we talk about these gaps, when we digest them and really break them down, we can find solutions and that will lead to collective healing for us all.
0: Hi everyone, thank you for joining us again for episode 2 of Closing the Gap, we're really happy to have you all back. For today, we really wanted to go over what's currently going on in Ukraine and Russia. As many of you are aware, Russia recently invaded Ukraine, so we thought it would be really fitting to go over the causes of war and the effects of war, just given how this current invasion is just affecting everyone globally.
1: Yeah, this attack or war has been gaining a lot of media attention, and this isn't even the only war happening right now, but we'll get into why it's getting more attention later on. Why don't we start off with what is happening in Ukraine to the people of Ukraine and why this all started in the first place?
0: Well, like most wars, it's political. Whether you'd like to acknowledge it or not, wars are political. And in this case specifically, this has to deal with alliances. So Putin did not want Ukraine to join NATO. NATO was an alliance formed after World War II. Since its formation, it has been taking a lot of Eastern European countries that used to be a part of the Soviet Union back in the 1990s. Since then, they've, a lot of these countries have joined NATO in fact ukraine has expressed since 2008 wanting to join however russia has made sure to not allow that they even invaded ukraine back in 2014 but recently in december putin actually put out a list of demands to nato and ukraine one of the biggest demands on that list being that ukraine never joining nato he just doesn't want that alliance to get any closer to Russia than it already is. NATO and Ukraine said no, and of course Putin got mad, which brought us to where we are now.
1: It makes sense that Russia wouldn't want its neighbor to join a military alliance that they are not a part of, because that in and of itself is like a threat. And so NATO stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's a military alliance. The idea of this alliance is if one member of the alliance is attacked, then all members of the alliance are attacked. So it's like one for all, all for one, and they have each other's back. So I think the idea of Russia, of Putin right now, is to get them before they get you kind of thing, to just get rid of that threat in the first place. To be fair, I'm not a policy analyst. That's just what I'm seeing right now. But I am more interested in how the media is portraying this war, actually, because I have just seen how activists and organizations are speaking out on how this war is being portrayed Because it's like, oh, this is Europe, we're civilized, this shouldn't be happening here.
0: Because they're white people, right?
1: Yeah, it's white Christians, we're middle-class, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. This shouldn't be happening to us. We're not Syria, we're not Afghanistan, we're not the Middle East, you know? Just because the media is saying this, just because people are saying this, just because even Ukrainians are saying this, doesn't mean they deserve any of this, of course not. However, it does exemplify how we view certain parts of the world And because of that, how we react to things that happen in certain parts of the world. By using terms such as civilized or middle class or not developing country versus developing country, we really separate the way that we think of different people depending on where they live. And it shows because only now are European countries and other countries taking in refugees. Whereas when it was Syria or Afghanistan or Yemen people were not taking as many refugees and they were not certainly taking them in as quickly as they are now.
0: Yeah and to your point we're not saying that this should be happening to Ukrainian people. In fact it's it's really great to see that a lot of countries are coming together to take in these refugees like the UK. However it's like you're mentioning would other would these countries be so willing to take in refugees if it was another country instead of Ukraine?
1: Oh, no. I mean, they proved that already. With the Syrian crisis, which is still going on, Yemen is still happening as well, Myanmar, and how many years has Afghanistan needed help? So we should be helping everyone and we should be giving everyone equal support, but that's not necessarily what's happening. This even happens at the US-Mexican border in Latin America. All these people that are coming for a variety of reasons, but war is one of those reasons. And they are facing the same type of Discrimination simply based on where they come from. So, from what I've read, the racism issue in Ukraine is happening at the border. And so, people who are quote unquote actual Ukrainians, they are more easily able to cross the border. This isn't necessarily across the board, but it is happening enough for it to be a problem where black and brown people who are trying to cross the border, of course, for the same reasons, are not able as easily to cross. And so, they're asked to wait or they're asked to walk miles and hours and these are people that are such as international students from India and Africa but they're all leaving the same situation so it's a refugee crisis because of course we have all these people trying to leave Ukraine and then it's another crisis in and of itself because we are experiencing a different type of treatment towards certain people this may seem kind of random but it reminds me of a video I saw recently of this social experiment and so What happened in the experiment is they got a little girl. She was about six years old, and they dressed her up in two ways. In the first way, it was like middle-class clothes, and so a cute little jacket, a cute little hat, and they put her in front of a building with heavy traffic, so a lot of people passing by. And the idea was to see how many people would offer this little girl help because she's all by herself, and so just asking her things like, where are your parents? Are you okay? Do you need help? Things like that. And so... When she was dressed with middle-class clothes, she got a decent amount of people asking her for help. Whereas after that, they dressed her up in basically looking like a poor person. They put dirt on her face. They dressed her in clothes that were teared. And so the experiment was to see the comparison between how she was dressed and how people reacted to her. And when she was dressed like a poor person, not many people addressed her. They didn't really ask her if she needed help. This was done twice in front of that building and then once in a restaurant where people were sitting down and she would kind of walk around the restaurant in these two different disguises. And she actually got so upset at how little people helped her when she looked poor that she ran out of the restaurant crying. And so they had to end the experiment early. And this just experiment goes to show how we really treat people based on the way that we perceive them, based on the way that they appear, rather than anything else, really. And going back to how this relates to what's happening at the Ukrainian border, these people who are being treated differently because they're black and brown didn't even create the situation that they are leaving. Like I said, they are fleeing the exact same situation that other people, white people, are fleeing from. So it just feels pretty ridiculous how international policies change so quickly depending on what community you're dealing with.
0: Yeah, and it just goes to show like how this really is political and and it shows who really is calling the shots here. But I know a lot of countries aren't getting directly involved yet, like physically, because of the threat that Putin puts with having nuclear weapons. But at the same time, it's like, okay, what if he is able to get control of Ukraine? What's to say that he's not going to Try getting control of other countries within Europe. Yeah, it's just, it's very scary to think about where this may lead to. And it's really, it's tough because we're, there really isn't much that we can do yet, but wait, it really is just like a waiting game.
1: I think in general, we... And we, as in the U.S., don't take action until we absolutely have to. And we saw this in World War II. The war had been going on for about two years, but we didn't officially get involved until Pearl Harbor. So it wasn't until, like, it was personal that we were like, okay, now we need to get involved. So I just think that governments don't like to take a stance until they feel that something that is in their own interest is at stake whether that is natural resources or nationalism, the pride of the country, or of course, until you get attacked and feel the need to retaliate. So the question now is, where is that line drawn? What will motivate the U.S. or other countries to get involved? And at least for us, the U.S., we do rely somewhat on Russian fossil fuels, on Russian oil. And we do have a good amount of treaty exchanges of exchanges of goods and materials with Ukraine. So that is something that could be a motivator. But what we tend to do before we get to that point, before we get involved, is we tend to say, okay, that country needs to figure it out for themselves. And you know what? That's so
0: funny because aren't they all a part of this alliance? Like, shouldn't you be helping each other? Like, yes, I know technically Ukraine isn't part of NATO, but they wanted to join. That's exactly why they're in this whole predicament. Because they express wanting to join NATO. And it also kind of shows how politicians, a lot of the time they can just be all talk. I don't feel like they're doing enough. They're not taking this more seriously than they should be.
1: Honestly, I feel like a lot of wars are based on men just trying to see who's, and I don't know if I should be saying this on the podcast. Um, we'll see if we edit this out later. But whose dick is bigger.
0: We'll, we'll bleep this out. Uh, <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs>
1: Because if the majority of your constituents aren't down for war and you still declare war... Like who are you doing it for at that point? To your point,
0: a lot of Russian citizens don't even want to be a part of this war. They have been protesting it and they do have really close ties to Ukraine. A lot of Russian people have families in Ukraine. It's like their next door neighbor. It's devastating because they're still a part of the casualties and they kind of have to suffer the consequences of their leader's decisions. And we know the thing with war is it's a lot of propaganda. I will say here in the U.S., we have more quote-unquote factual information because a lot of what is being pushed in Russia right now is manipulating the people to Putin's benefit. It's censored. And that's scary because they are able to use it to justify what they're doing, which this is just another effect of war, propaganda and the exploitation of a lot of
1: citizens. For me, U.S. propaganda is pretty up there
0: i agree with you that u.s propaganda can be pretty bad as well i do like in especially in the fact that although we have more access to this quote-unquote factual information the u.s media does portray certain things within a particular light like the fact that they're saying this shouldn't be happening to ukrainian people when that's disgusting this shouldn't be happening to anyone
1: And one of the frustrating things about war is it often isn't decided by the people. It's not a democratic process because whether or not a country goes to war is often decided by just a few high ranked politicians, and everyone else is just expected to go along with it. And those politicians may be elected officials, but that's a whole other issue of whether or not they're actually representing the majority's interests. And it's funny because we just wait to see what the other leader's response is. The media is just pitting Putin and Biden against each other. And while, yeah, theoretically, they represent the country, it shouldn't be about them. They aren't the ones who are on the front lines. They aren't the ones who will be most impacted by the war. And politicians like to tell you that what they're doing is necessary, as if this is the only way to respond, and it's something you should support. For example, here in the U.S., we are told we're helping the people of Afghanistan or wherever else we happen to be, even as we're bombing those countries. And maybe we are protecting some people there, but I would bet that we are harming a lot of people by our presence and our actions overseas.
0: Do you think the U.S. will get directly and physically involved
1: in Ukraine? And if so, will it be beneficial for the Ukrainian citizens? It can go both ways. I mean, we can say, well, we're doing a good thing. We're with the little guy with Ukraine. We're allies. But I don't know. For me personally, and this can be cliche or naive, war and violence hasn't really seemed to actually solve anything. I mean, what feels like my whole life, the U.S. has been in Afghanistan, and that's all I've ever heard about the country. I don't want to hear about war anymore there. I want to hear about the people, the culture, the landscapes, the things that actually make up Afghanistan. So for me, I think it's important to just take a step back and wonder... If we, the public, actually want to partake in war, if this is our decision, or if we're just getting involved in something that we think we need to be a part of because that's what they're telling us, because of propaganda or just because of government policies and what they want to do.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to why are they getting involved? Because they haven't gotten involved yet. So what is it going to take for them to to finally do something? And when they do... Is it beneficial for us or is it beneficial for the politicians? They're going to claim that they've been there since the start, that they've directly helped since the beginning. And it's like, hmm, okay, sure. While the Ukraine president himself has been calling out a lot of these countries and telling them that they're not doing enough.
1: Oh, yeah. People are saying he's a hero for going out in the streets when other presidents would be in their bunkers. I'm sure ours would be in the bunker. But good for him. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I have also seen that Ukrainian citizens doing TikToks, filming TikToks. I don't even know the lingo, so clearly I'm not up to date. Um, Creating TikToks where they show people how to use a Russian tank to fight back.
0: Oh, wow. Honestly, like it just goes to show that sometimes you have to take matters into your own hand. Unfortunately, your government doesn't always do what's best for you. My heart just goes out to the Ukraine people. I hope that they're able to stay safe. What Putin is doing is absolutely devastating. I believe one of the the most recent things that he's done is bomb a maternal hospital. And it's just like, come on, like what point are you willing to stoop so low to get what you want? Like, it's just, it's really hard
1: to watch. Exactly, it goes back to who's actually impacted by war or military attacks. I actually wonder who's able to keep up with news like that. because I think another factor, and this is for all of us, not just politicians, I think we people as well are desensitized to all the news. It's almost a burden to keep up with current news because people just feel like there is always something in the U.S. We're worried about shootings. In other places, they may be worried about something else. And now that we have access to world news, that... Too, just keeping up with what is happening to people elsewhere, not even just your family, but just hearing about what's happening to people in Ukraine, it can feel overwhelming. We can feel like, well, what can I do from here? And also on the other end, you can feel like you don't have the capacity to worry about it. I mean, if you're worried about rent, we're worried about a pandemic, we're worried about things, everyday life, everyday stressors. It's hard. If you can't even take care of your own family, how are you going to worry about a Ukrainian family that feels just so... Far away from you and what you're doing. And so I don't blame people for feeling like they can't keep up with current news. I really do have compassion for them. And it's hard. I do feel like we need to find a balance between taking care of ourselves and also trying to find a way to help others because... And this is really privileged to say because we can, for one day a week or something, turn off our phones, just not check social media. So we can kind of decompress and just take away from that. But of course, that's privileged to say because it's easy to disconnect from things that aren't happening to you, right? I mean, if they're happening directly to you, you can't really just walk away from them for a day. And so it is hard because I do want people to take care of themselves. But I also don't want them to just say, oh, well, this isn't happening right now because... I'm not checking my phone. So everything must be fine because, you know, I'm in this world where I don't have to keep up with news and so I don't see anything that's happening. So that must be that the world is fine. So there has to be a fine line. There just has to be like a balance where we take care of ourselves and really manage our limits, but also that we make sure that we keep up with things because we want to be able to help other people as well. To wrap up for today, we're going to leave you with an action item. We're going to link refugee organizations, international ones, in the show notes so you can go and support them. And these aren't only focused on Ukrainian refugees. As we've mentioned, there are plenty of other refugee crises going on right now. And as a reminder, becoming a refugee can happen to any of us. It's not who you are. It's something that happens to you for a lot of reasons like war or loss of livelihood. So with that said, let's just help as many people as we can.
0: We hope you all enjoyed this episode. Please follow
1: us on whatever streaming platform you use. To learn more, you can follow us on Instagram at ClosingTheGapPod or email us at ClosingTheGapPod@gmail.com at gmail.com with questions and feedback. Thanks for listening. Until next time.